Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Tom. Thank you to our worship team. Let us in worship those songs fit uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning so well. So let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we're going to be seeing today, uh, we can do nothing without you. We can do nothing without your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can accomplish nothing for you except through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we commit this time now to you that your spirit would work mightily both in the delivery of the message and the reception of it. We pray for your great grace to be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, welcome to all of you. Uh, you braved the elements this morning. That's gonna, not going to stop us Wisconsinites, is it? A little bit of snow. So our, our message this morning is titled, The Heart and Ministry of Paul. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 34, and it will be in the NIV. Well, how many of you still write letters? I mean, the kind of letters that you write out, that you fold up, that you pull it, put it into an envelope, and that you actually put into a mailbox. How many of you actually still send those kinds of letters? Well, whether it's a handwritten letter or an email, which is more common these days, especially to a friend or loved one, uh, those letters will probably include an introduction, some facts and information, obviously a conclusion, and then some personal expressions. Expressions like, I can't wait to see you, or I miss you, or I love you. You know, expressions that make the letter intensely personal. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he occasionally pauses his great doctrinal teaching to reveal his heart. In other words, he becomes intensely personal. You saw, for example, back <clears throat> in chapter 1, where Paul expressed his deep desire to come and to see his brothers and sisters in Christ there in Rome. And then in Romans chapter 9, that incredible statement by Paul, where Paul reveals that he loved his fellow Jews so much that he wished that he himself would be accursed and cut off from Christ if it meant their salvation. One of the most selfless, most loving statements uh, that we read in Scripture. And we see some of that here in Romans 15, where we find Paul expressing his longing and his love for the church in Rome, as well as his love for those who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, our focus is going to be, first of all, Paul's love for the church, as well as his love for the unbelieving Gentiles that Jesus had called him to reach. And then secondly, we're going to look at the humility that we see in the life of Paul as he expresses himself in our passage here. And then thirdly, we're going to look at Paul's faithfulness to his calling as an apostle. So it's a pretty easy three-point outline. Love, humility, faithfulness should be easy uh, to remember. So let's begin this morning by looking at Paul's love for the church. Not only the church in Rome, but Paul loved all the churches. You see his love expressed and sprinkled throughout all of his letters that we find here in the New Testament. Paul really loved the church because he loved his Lord Jesus, who loved the church so much that he gave his very life for it. In the great hymn, The Church is One Foundation, it says of Jesus Christ, with his own blood he bought her 
and for her life he died. And so Paul loved the church because he loved his Lord who gave his life for the church. In fact, Paul's love and concern for the churches was so great that he wrote in 2 Corinthians 11.28, which Caleb cited in his fine message the other night, that along with all the other trials he endured, besides everything, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So Paul loved the church, that's pretty obvious. But how do we see Paul specifically demonstrating his love for the church in Rome in our passage this morning? Well, look with me first of all here at verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, Romans chapter 15, verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And so Paul encourages these Roman believers by acknowledging to them that he had noticed their growth in godliness, that he had noticed their growth in their understanding of the scriptures, And he had noticed their ministry to one another and their competency in ministering to one another. And that's something we often mention in our discussions as a pastoral team here at Crossview. And that is the growth and the maturity and the spiritual hunger that is so clearly evident in so many of you. And, you know, we need to encourage one another when we see these things in each other. How encouraging it is when we hear someone say to us, you know, I've been observing your life and over the past year or two, you've really grown as a follower of Jesus. Or how I appreciate your service to the Lord in this body. How encouraging that is uh, for us to hear. And we just had Pastor Appreciation Month last month. And how we appreciated as a pastoral staff your encouragement through letters and and cards and and food (laughs) and gifts. It was really wonderful and really encouraging. So we were so appreciative of that. And so we can demonstrate love like Paul did by encouraging one another. And then secondly, Paul demonstrated love for the church in Rome by reminding them of certain truths. We see that in verse 15. Paul writes, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And so even though Paul was was confident that these Roman believers were competent to instruct one another and to minister to one another, he still felt it necessary to remind them again and again of the central truths of the Christian faith. And like Paul, Peter saw the necessity of this as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And so both Paul and Peter saw the necessity of this, of reminding the believers of certain essential truths. And, you know, you remember as we went through Romans, how Paul emphasized the doctrine of justification by faith repeatedly because of how vitally important this doctrine is to the Christian faith. We're reminded of the quote from Martin Luther who said, Justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. 
So don't be you know, put off by re- repeated reminders of certain biblical truths because they are absolutely essential for our spiritual growth and maturity. And when pastors remind you of certain things again and again, again and again, it is a demonstration of a pastor's love for you. It was out of Paul's love for the church that he did that here with the Romans. And then, as we mentioned earlier, Paul demonstrated his love for the church in Rome and that he longed to see them. He had such a longing for these people in the church. And over the past couple of days, you may have seen family members you've been longing to see for a long time. Or maybe you're looking forward to Christmas where you're going to see loved ones that you haven't seen for a long time. You long to see them. And, you know, really, we should have that same sort of longing for our brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. We should have that sort of longing and that sort of love for one another that we are very eager to see one another again. Paul writes a little farther down in this passage in verses 22 through 24. He says, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And the longing that Paul expresses here simply echoes the longing for this church that Paul had expressed back in chapter 1. He longed for their fellowship. He longed for their companionship as his brothers and sisters. And he longed to minister to them and to receive ministry from them. But not only does Paul express love for the church in Rome here in chapter 15, he also describes here his love for the unbelieving Gentiles that the Lord Jesus Christ had called him to reach with the gospel. Jesus, through Ananias, had called Paul to this apostolic ministry back in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Acts chapter 9, of course, being that great chapter where Paul is miraculously converted, or as he was known as then Saul, as he went into Damascus. Just before he arrived in Damascus, Jesus Christ met him on the road there. And Paul's life was transformed. And so we see the calling that Jesus made in his life as the Lord said to Ananias in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, Jesus says to him, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And so as we go back to our passage in Romans, we see here both Paul's love for the unbelieving Gentiles and his faithfulness to his calling as well, that, and that we will look at a little later on. But he says here in verses 18 and 19 of Romans chapter 15, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, the distance between Jerusalem to Illyricum was about a thousand miles. And it involved a journey from southern Israel 
up through Syria. You might want to refer to a, a map in your Bible to see the journey that Paul took, his three missionary journeys. Southern Israel, up through Syria, across Turkey, down through Greece, and then up through Albania. Roughly the distance between Wisconsin Rapids and New York City. And not on a four-lane freeway going 75 miles an hour either. The going was rough, and Paul faced terrible suffering and persecution. We know that Paul was run out of most of the cities that he went to with the gospel, most of those Gentile cities. And so he suffered terribly, suffering terrible persecution, but he persisted. Why did he persist? He persisted out of love for his Lord and love for those who had never heard the gospel and thus had never received Jesus Christ by faith as their Savior and Lord. Paul's love for lost souls is reflected in another book here in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, and then verse 20. We read here beginning in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And then down in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So you notice how forcefully Paul expresses himself here. He says, first of all, as we saw in verse 14, he says, Christ's love compels us to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. Literally, that word means that, that Christ's love bound Paul to the cause of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. It's almost as if he had no other choice. The love of Christ compelled him. And then we see in verse 16 how he said, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, what he's saying there is that he says, we, see, we now see people as Jesus Christ sees them in their true spiritual condition. You know, sometimes we can see people and, and look at people out in, out in the public somewhere and, and we might think, boy, that person's pretty irritating or, or they're this or they're that. But Paul didn't see people that way anymore. He saw them through the eyes of Christ. He saw them in their spiritual condition, often in their desperate spiritual condition without Christ. And then, as we saw in verse 20, it says, he said, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That word implore there means, Paul is saying, we have come alongside you and made this earnest, urgent appeal to you. And the appeal is this, be reconciled to God. And so you see the love of Christ literally shining through Paul's heart into this dark Gentile world he had been called to reach. Paul was literally the light of the world that Jesus Christ has called us to be and that Kim prayed 
early on here in our worship service. But not only do we see and hear Paul's heart of love in these verses, we also see his humility demonstrated as well. If anyone had reason to be proud, it was Paul. It would have been so easy for him to say, how privileged I am. Look at all the attention Jesus has paid to me. Look at the things that have been revealed to me. How special I am. How gifted I am. What a spiritual giant I am. But God would not allow Paul to be proud, would he? Turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10. God would not allow Paul to be proud. It says there in verse 7, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so as God kept Paul humble and dependent, he fully realized that he could do nothing without Jesus Christ. Paul could do nothing without Christ. He recognized this. It says in verses 17 and 18 of our passage in Romans 15, Paul writes there, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Paul knew He came to realize because God had kept him humble that he could do nothing without Christ. And Jesus said himself in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so like Paul, the Lord keeps us humble and dependent upon him through trials and sufferings in order that we might recognize what Paul had come to recognize and that is we can do nothing without Jesus. And then secondly, and related to that, Paul knew that he could only fulfill his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we look at our passage. Let me read again verse 17 and 18 and then add verse 19. Paul writes again, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul knew something we must know as well. We can accomplish nothing for God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to this lost world. And so many churches 
here in the West have fallen into this trap of, of attempting to build the church through human ingenuity and, and worldly wisdom and marketing strategies and even worldly entertainment sometimes. But in reality, it's in places like China and Iran and other Muslim nations where Jesus Christ is building his church through the lives of humble, spirit-filled believers. It's amazing what the Lord is accomplishing as he continues to build his church. As he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Look at the nation of Iran, for example. It's estimated that there are now over one million Christians in Iran where Christianity is illegal and there is not one church building in which they are allowed to meet. Over a million Christians where it's officially illegal to practice Christianity, it's officially illegal to have a Bible, and there's not one church building for them to meet in. And yet it's the fastest growing church in the world. How is that happening? It's only through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. He is building his church in the most impossible places in all of the world. And so Paul, in humility, was totally dependent upon the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his apostolic ministry. But Paul also demonstrated humility by asking for prayer. In fact, he coveted the prayers of the church in Rome. As we jump ahead a little bit to verses 30 and 31 of Romans chapter 15, Paul writes here, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We can join in with our brothers and sisters around the world in the great struggle of reaching people in in these difficult areas with the gospel by joining with them in prayer. We're, We're a spiritual team. We're the body of Christ. And so we can join with them in praying for them, just as Paul asks the Roman church here to join him in his struggle by praying to God for him. Verse 31, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Paul knew that he could not go it alone, and neither can we. We need one another. We need one another's prayers. Have you ever offered to pray for someone and they responded by saying, well, that's okay, I'm fine. Why don't you go ahead and pray for someone who really needs it? I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well. Well, that might sound like selfless humility, but that might well be a statement of pride. Prayer and our asking our brothers and sisters to pray for us is a sign of humility and dependence upon God, and dependence upon one another. Again, we're talking about Voice of the Martyrs this morning. And and we have this privilege to give our year-end gift to that wonderful ministry. And our persecuted brothers and sisters, they covet our prayers for them. In fact, Voice of the Martyrs provides a prayer guide for every persecuted uh, country where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And so you can go to VOM's website and look at that. But in Iran, for example, 
their, some of their prayer requests is that they pray for the salvation of their government leader, whose name is Khomeini. Khomeini hates the church. He hates Christians. He's a radical Muslim, and yet they ask for prayer that Khomeini would be saved. That's their prayer for him. They ask for prayer for the safety of those who operate underground printing of the Bible. They ask that we pray for the safety of those who smuggle Bibles into Iran and and around Iran. They ask that we pray for Christians in prison, that they will continue to be faithful in their witness for Christ. And they ask for prayer for those Christian prisoners who are feeling discouraged and need emotional support. We can join with them in prayer. And so as Paul and our Iranian brothers and sisters demonstrate humility in, in requesting prayer, we need to recognize our need for one another's prayers here at Crossview. And I know our pastoral team covets and appreciates your prayers for us. Well, we've seen so far here in Romans 15, both Paul's love and his humility. But what is also clearly evident in this passage is Paul's faithfulness to the Lord's calling in his life as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The title apostle is the Greek word apostolos, and it means a sent one. And so Paul was commissioned and sent by the Lord to take the gospel to the Gentile world, and as we've seen, he went. And so Paul was faithful to his calling. And first of all, we see here that he was faithful to the message that he had been given to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had a laser-like focus in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached the cross. He preached the resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he writes, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul knew that the power that brings salvation resides in the message of the gospel. As Dan preached uh, many months ago in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so Paul's faithfulness is seen through his faithfulness to the message That he was called to proclaim. But not only was Paul faithful to the gospel, he faithfully proclaimed a complete gospel. Look with me at our passage in verse 18. He says again, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So Paul not only preached a faithful gospel, he preached a complete gospel. But what do we mean by that? Well, theologian John Murray said that in Romans and throughout the New Testament, faith is regarded as an act of obedience, of commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, of wholehearted devotion to Christ and to the truth of the gospel. It is to such faith that all nations are called. And so Paul led the Gentiles to not only faith in Christ, but he led them to an obedient faith. And brothers and sisters, the New Testament knows nothing 
of a cheap gospel that offers the forgiveness of sin through faith without also a corresponding repentance and wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. That is what the Lord is calling every single one of us to. A wholehearted commitment to him. Dan has shared many times this very biblical response to the gospel. Turn, trust, and follow. That is the biblical response to the gospel. Turn from your sin in repentance. Trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation and for the forgiveness of sins. And then commit to following him daily as your Lord. And that's what Paul was calling the Gentile world to. And that is the response we are called to as well. And that is an obedient faith. And then Paul demonstrates his faithfulness to his apostolic calling and that his desire was to preach the gospel where it had never been heard before. Verses 19 through 21, again, he says, By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And again, he says that this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul's heart was to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard it. That was his heart. And many missionaries down through the centuries have emulated Paul's example. Let me give you three of them. First of all, Adniram Judson. Adniram Judson took the gospel to the unreached people of Burma back in the mid-1800s. And that in the midst of tremendous persecution and tremendous suffering and tremendous cost both to himself and his family. And yet he went and yet he stayed and yet he proclaimed the gospel of Christ and hundreds of Burmese were saved despite the tremendous suffering that Judson endured. Then there's Hudson Taylor. He was the founder of the China Inland Mission. And during the 1800s, during Taylor's time in China, it's estimated that 35,000 previously unreached Chinese came to Jesus Christ, and many of them from the interior regions of China. That's why he called his ministry the China Inland Mission. He wasn't satisfied with just preaching the gospel in the populated coastal cities. He wanted to bring the gospel inland to places where it had never been heard before, where the gospel had never been proclaimed before. And God used Hudson Taylor mightily. And then there's David Livingston, who from approximately 1840 to 1870 went as a medical missionary to the unreached tribes of Central and Southern Africa. And David Livingston literally traveled across the continent of Africa back then in his love for suffering unreached people. And we need missionaries with that same pioneer spirit in our day as well. I was doing a little studying, further studying this week, and I I looked at the Joshua Project, which is a very reputable organization, and the Joshua Project estimates, and I was shocked at this, estimates that 3.4 
of the 8 billion people in the world today have no legitimate gospel witness. Think of that. With all of the technology and all the missionaries that have gone out over all the centuries, and yet this relatively large percentage of the people in this world, and these are all these little people groups that populate our world today, 3.4 of the 8 billion people in the world today have no gospel witness. And most of those people live in what is known as the 1040 window, an area of the world between 10 degrees north and 40 degrees north latitude, an area of the world largely consisting of North Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia. And in this part of the world, less than 3% of the world's missionary activity takes place, probably because of the great danger that is involved in taking the gospel there. And so again, we see the importance of having a heart like Paul's, whose ambition was to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And we see the importance of having this heart of supporting missionaries who are serving in the 1040 window. If you look at our missionary map right outside here on the wall, we have three missionaries who are serving in the 1040 window. One couple, we can't even mention their name because they're serving in a very dangerous uh, area of the world. If you wanted to include Uganda in that before, although I don't, I don't think they technically fall in the 1040 window. But you see how we have this sharing of the gospel. This is truly experiencing the gospel together. And Jesus said that we are to pray that he would send out workers into his harvest. The reason being because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That was true then in the first century. It's still true today. So who knows? Maybe the Lord is going to raise up a few in this church who feel the call to take, by the Lord to take the gospel to those who have not heard. So again, we need to pray that the Lord would send out workers into his harvest. That's what we're commanded to do. And then finally, Paul was faithful to his calling despite the resistance that he experienced. If you look with me again at, at, at verse 22, you know, he, he's been talking there about how it has always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. In verse 22 he says, This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He was hindered because his desire was to bring the gospel where it had not been heard before. Satan actively worked to hinder Paul and the progress of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, it says that Paul had the same desire to visit the church in Thessalonica, but he said, Satan hindered us. And in our day, it is undoubtedly Satan's opposition that is hindering the spread of the gospel in areas like the Middle East, although the Lord is building his church there anyway. The, the most difficult parts of the world where the satanic opposition is the greatest, the Lord continues to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Iran, again, is a great example of that. So believe me, if you're engaged in the work of the Lord in any way, and by that I mean maybe you're trying to reach a, a friend with the gospel, maybe you're trying to be a faithful Christian and a faithful witness in your workplace, Maybe you're trying to be a witness in your family. Maybe you're serving the Lord in some way in the community. If you're serving the Lord, Satan sees you as a threat 
and he will oppose you. So expect opposition. But the Lord has given us instruction on how to respond to satanic opposition. And so I'd like for you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 through 11. This is great instruction for us as, as it pertains to opposition from the devil. He says here, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, as we've seen, Paul reveals some of his heart here in Romans chapter 15. We've seen his love for the church. We've seen his humility. We've seen his faithfulness to proclaim a complete gospel. But how can we walk away from a passage like this and an example like this without being impacted with his passion for souls? How can we walk away without sensing the need for a passion for souls? I know that it's impacted me. I've felt convicted as I've studied for this message at how cold my heart can be at times for those who don't know Christ. And so my prayer for myself and for all of us is that the Lord would fuel this love and this passion and that we would see the world the way he sees it. We've heard today about Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor and David Livingston. Let me introduce you to another man who sacrificed a successful athletic career as a cricket player uh, to go to the mission field in China, in India, and Africa. His name was C.T. Studd. He also was a man filled with a passion for souls. And he once said, How could I spend the best years of my life in living for the honors of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? We can all ask ourselves that question to a certain extent. How can I live for the honors and the pleasures and the ease of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every single day. And do you know that as we've been sitting in this worship service this morning, at least 9,000 people have died around the world, most of them without Jesus Christ. So how we need to pray for a passion for souls like Paul and these other men and women throughout history, including our day have had, and their absolute commitment to reach this lost world with the gospel. And that is beginning here in Wisconsin Rapids, throughout the state of Wisconsin, throughout the United States, and throughout the entire world. A passion for souls doesn't just mean a passion for souls overseas. It means a passion for souls right here. It means a passion for souls in your families and in your workplace and in the Wisconsin Rapids community. It's the most important thing in all the world. 
there's nothing more important that we can focus our attention on than this. The proclamation of the gospel, the obedience to the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So I'd like to end with another quote from C.T. Studd, and this should put a real perspective for us on what our lives should look like. C.T. Studd said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This puts it in perspective, doesn't it? So may that thought linger with us as we leave this worship service this morning. Let's pray.